0: A little bit of just housekeeping. This is our, this will be our last uh, sermon series on from the Book of Philippians. Even though we're not at the end of the Book of Philippians, and that's because the last section of Philippians I've already preached on not too long ago. I haven't. I've been here six and a half years. That's still not long enough for me to start repeating sermons. So, uh, if you want to hear the sermon from on the last section on contentment, uh, that will be on the podcast. It'll go up today with, along with today's sermon. So it'll be there if you want to hear the end of, of how the, of how the book goes. So our good news story, our last good news story that we're going to see that I, that I read this week. I found out they're doing something in Las Vegas. Not always a place for finding good news. But for a month from, uh, June 19th to July 19th, They are allowing people who get uh, parking tickets, you can pay off your parking ticket fine by buying uh, school supplies and donating them. I thought that was pretty cool. You have to get, you know, you could buy pencils, pens, dry erase markers, erasers, paper towels, copy paper, ruler, scissors, you know, anything. And so uh, as long as it's new and unwrapped and it's equal or greater to the value of what your parking ticket would be, And uh it wasn't uh it wasn't a public safety related incident. You can pay your fine by doing school supplies. I thought that was pretty cool that they were doing that. Um now there's room to debate and question as to why is it that our teachers in our schools don't have enough supplies? Or we could even have a discussion about well, are what the schools teaching appropriate? We could have a debate about whether or not education is equitable. But I can think we can all agree. I haven't found anybody disagree yet that giving school supplies to a school is, is a is, is a good thing. And and uh, as opposed to if I paid my parking ticket to to the police department or city hall or whatever, at least you know where the money's going, right? So I thought that was pretty cool. And it's kind of a similar thing with the good news, that is, salvation through faith in Jesus, it results in good action as well, all the time. It changes individual lives, it changes our communities, and it changes our society. The good news is action news. And the last thing we're going to see as we finish off this series is that the good news has to be communicated. It's always communicated. And we're going to look at three types of communication. We're going to look at communication of the good news from one person to another. Communication from God to a person, whether that's God to me or God to another person. And the last one is the gospel as it's moving within my own mind, as I have a self-talk, how the gospel is changing me within my own mind. So as we get ready to do this, let's begin with prayer. Lord, today as we look at how the good news of salvation is communicated and the things that impede it, I pray that you will use me to communicate well so that we will all have understanding and that we will all be encouraged not only to share salvation, but to be transformed. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 2, 2 through 5. It says, I urge... Uh, I'm going to have a hard time with this lady's name. Eudosia. Uh, Eudo-, yeah, there's no C in there. Yodia. I think that's good. I urge you, Eudodia... And Syntyche, and I also urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I know it's two ladies' names. so Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these two women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. First thing as far as communication of the good news is the Apostle Paul commands us and commanded these people to contend for the gospel, contend for the gospel. There's these two women in Philippi, and they're having some type of disagreement. We don't know what the disagreement is. Maybe it's over school equity. (laughs) As I said before, we don't know what we have no idea what they're disagreeing about. But they're having some kind of contention with each other. But whatever the issue is, Paul wants them to settle their issue in the Lord. Now, what does he mean by that? He says, I want you to settle this issue both by means of being in the Lord and also because of you are in the Lord. Says because you're one in the Lord, you should be able to settle this, and you should use what God has given you in order to settle this. Now, why would he call out these two women in particular? This, you know, what these two women must be leaders. They know Paul, and he's he's there. Their their disagreement is is becoming an issue in the church. They're influencers of some type. They might have been. Two women who were heads of household and they might have both had house churches and they're trying to figure out how their churches are going. There might have been some competition there or they might have been in the same church. But here's the thing. These two women used to contend for the gospel. They used to work together and work alongside each other and work alongside Paul and work alongside Clement in order to reach people with the gospel. And now instead of fighting for the gospel, they are fighting with each other. Instead of contending for the gospel, they are contending with each other. And the implication is that the work of the gospel is not happening now, or at least it's hindered, because these two women are busy trying to top each other in something. And so he offers this solution to for them to come back together in the Lord. You know, typically we rejoice in our victories. When we win, we say hooray. You know, I've been watching some of the the World Cup, and when when the teams win they get excited. And Paul and and so Paul is telling these two two women and this whole church He says, you need to rejoice in the Lord. Don't wait to rejoice when you win this fight. He says, you need to rejoice in the Lord. You need to, we need to rejoice because my name is written in the book of life. Better that my name is in God's book of life than I win an argument. I will gladly lose every argument I ever get into as long as my name can be in the book of life. And he says to these two ladies, he says, What we should be known about is that we're full of grace, not that we're always right. So that's his solution. He says, Rejoice. Not that you win. But that your name, that God has you in His book of life. It's reminded me somewhat, you know, as we're on Independence Weekend, but, and we'll get to an illustration about the United States later, but I thought about Brexit. The United Kingdom, Britain, trying to move out of the European Union. People voted, they voted to leave, they still haven't left yet. And it's because the multiple different sides, and there's at least three different sides. There's the European Union side. There are the British who want to leave the European Union, and there's the British who wants to stay in the European Union. So there's at least three sides here, and everybody's dug in their heels because everybody wants to win. And so what's happening? Nothing's happening. Everybody wants to be right instead of being gracious. And it's a good illustration of what Paul's saying, what's happened in this church in Philippi. They're too busy wanting to be right, and nothing's happening. That's supposed to be happening. He says, forget being right. Be gracious. Now, there are a lot of things that we could potentially contend over in a church. We could, churches have contended over music. We contend over ministries. Which ones we're we going to do? Who's going to be in charge? Contend over money. Where's it going to be spent? Who gets how much? What are we going to spend it on? Churches have contended over the Lord's table. Do we use bread with leaven or do we use bread without leaven? Guess what? We use both depends on the Sunday. There's all kinds of things that we potentially could fight over. We have a new sign out front. We discussed, the leadership board discussed the sign and we got better ideas because, because we discussed it. We didn't fight about it. And so it got done. And I need to contend for the gospel. The only thing I need to be fighting about is our people come to know Jesus. And in order to do that, that, that means not just me, it means we're all working together so that more people will hear the gospel, that Jesus is God, that he lived, he died, and he rose again to pay for the misdeeds of everyone, and that belief in him brings forgiveness and new life. That's the only thing I fight about, or I should fight about, or I should say fight for. I'm here to contend for the gospel. I bet that I will share faith in Jesus with more people than you over the next six months. Beat me. I bet that I will pray more fervently for people to come to faith in Jesus than you over the next six months. Beat me. That's contending for the gospel. I bet I will invest in the spiritual formation of myself and others through small groups than any of you over the next six months. Beat me. I dare you to compete with me, to contend with me. Let's contend for the gospel. Everything else, let's just have grace. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to communicate the gospel. And we can't do that for fighting over the small stuff. Sometimes the small stuff seems like big stuff. But Paul goes on. He says, finishing off in verse 5, he says, The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This next section of communication of the gospel, he says, We need to communicate in prayer. says, the Lord is near. It's literally, he says, there is he's saying God is close in proximity because the Holy Spirit is with us. And he's also saying, by saying the Lord is near, he's reminding them that Jesus is coming back. So the Holy Spirit has work for us to do now and Jesus is coming back to see what we did. And because we have this confidence that we have the Holy Spirit now and Jesus returning, I should pray instead of worry. Both in giving my request to God and giving my thanks to God. Saying, see, if I bring God, who is already close, actually into my life, and into the lives of those people I care about, then I have a peace that people that God is not near, they can't even understand it. but They might ask about it. And I'll have a mind and a spirit that's guarded from the things that would try and disrupt it. And I can be praying for people that, God will guard their hearts and their minds so they could comprehend that God wants to be near to them too, actually is near to them. Now, you know, we, we've we seen, if you watch any sports, you see people going to pray in the end zone or whatever. I don't think God cares too much who wins sports games. But I think God does care when people give thanks for their ability to play But it's interesting how our world sees prayer right now. I saw a meme on Facebook, and it said, Praying, pretending to do something without doing anything. You know that That's how the world sees prayer, at least some people in the world. Pretending to do something without doing anything. But what is prayer really? Prayer is me asking God to act. Not so that I don't have to. Prayer is me asking God to act and asking God to enlighten me to understand what God wants me to do too. If I pray for Steve, it's not just so God can change Steve. I pray for Steve so that God changes me so I know how to interact with Steve. So I've got these books. I've already started mine. This is uh, called Passive Gold, And I'm going to pass these out right now to anybody that wants them. It's a book to help us pray for someone to come to faith in Jesus. And the prayers are taken right out of Scripture. And here's kind of the cool thing. With each prayer, it's got a section at the end that says, signs that God is moving. That's one of the most important parts of this. So you can keep track of what you're seeing in the other person's life that God might be doing, and also what God is changing, what, what God wants me to do. Just a way to keep track. I've already started mine. Who wants one? If I need more, I will get more. Tell you what, we'll do. Couples have to share for now. (laughs) Okay, I will order more. It's just a way, it's a guide to help us communicate in prayer. Not so that we don't do anything, but so that, remember, God has something for us to do. I'll have more of those by next week. They'll be in the lobby. See, we're here to communicate the gospel. And part of that is communicating with God in prayer. And then the Apostle Paul ends with this in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. The last thing Paul tells them to do is to concentrate on excellence. Concentrate on excellence. Paul just said that an effect of prayer is guarding our mind and it guarding our inner self, our soul, our spirit. And prayer and meditation are things that go together. The prayer and meditations are, are things that begin as thoughts and move us to action. So in my prayers or between my prayers, what I think about is important. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6:45, The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from, what, from that which fills his heart. He says, so whatever this person is thinking about, whether good or evil, that's what's going to come out in their actions and their words. Solomon put it this way in, in Proverbs 4.23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for for from it flow the springs of life. If you've got good things inside, if I've got good things inside of me, then good things are going to come out of Good actions are going to come out of me. And so he's saying when we're, when we're praying and we're just thinking, how is the gospel just moving in my mind? And so he lists these things that we should be thinking about. He says, Think about the truth. See, and the ultimate, there's a lot of things that are true. But Jesus is the truth. Jesus called himself the way, the truth, and the life. And if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. I think that should be a capital T when he says think about the truth. Think about Jesus. He says, think about things that are honorable. And that could be either a person or an action that has good character associated with it. He says, think about justice. He says, when something is right or when things are restored to their proper order, that's the kind of thing we should be focusing on. We should think about purity. He says that's when sacred things are kept sacred and kept clean. We should think about loveliness. That's just anything that's acceptable or pleasing, if it's good. Think about things that are commendable. That's if something, if you get a good report about something. Think about things that are morally excellent. This has to do with the character and intention of a person or action. For example, somebody might say, Our community needs housing. So it's good to build housing. That would be good, but it would be morally excellent to build housing that the people who need housing could actually afford. That's the difference between good and morally excellent. And praiseworthy. Anything that's worth giving applause to. So how do we figure this stuff out? Let's think about the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, we always hope that our justices make Decisions that are truthful, honorable, just, acceptable, morally excellent, and worthy of applause. But they don't always do that, do they? And here's why. A difficulty that our Supreme Court justices have is that the court's highest law is the U.S. Constitution. And the U.S. Constitution is not a moral code. It's a good set of laws, but there, is re- there are some rights in there that are good, but it's not a moral document. The U.S. Supreme Court cannot legally cite the Bible as precedent. They can't even legally cite the Declaration of Independence as precedent. And it's in the Declaration of Independence, not in the Constitution, that says there are laws of nature and there are laws of God. That says that in the Declaration of Independence. But they can't draw from that as their highest law. It says in the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, people, they might have just meant men, yeah, honestly, but all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator. Oh, there's a God with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, that's morally excellent. That's not their highest law. And so, even though the Declaration of Independence has a higher moral standard than the Constitution, sometimes the court is going to make decisions that are lawful, but fall short of being worthy of applause. They may fall short of being morally excellent, commendable, and certainly not sacred. See, the Supreme Court is legally obligated to focus on something that's good, but not excellent. We don't have that same obligation. We are... God calls us to focus on the best, focus on Jesus, focus on scripture, focus on God, focus on grace, focus on life. But sometimes we tend to concentrate on distractions. I've got a smartphone, just like most everybody else. And my emails pop up on there, and my text messages pop up on there, and and I've got Facebook on there, and my phone, my entertainment. And you know what? All those things lead to inaction. I feel like I'm doing something because I'm pushing a lot of buttons. So we can't concentrate on distractions. And what about our failures and mistakes? You know what? I certainly should learn from my failures and mistakes and my weaknesses. But what I should dwell on is what I learned, not the failure, mistake, or weakness. See, concentration on failure leads to more failure. You know, it can be said that Jesus had a time of weakness before he went to the cross. He's in the garden and he's praying that this could possibly be done some other way. Jesus is praying, I would prefer not to be tortured and go to the cross. That prayer shows his humanity. And although it's an important passage to to know, we don't focus on the weakness What we remember is the fact that Jesus did go to the cross and Jesus was raised from the dead. See, the most excellent thing I have to concentrate on is the gospel, the truth about Jesus. And so whether it's how we get along together or my communication with God or what's going on with my own mind, I want all those to be focused in the right way so that I can clearly communicate Jesus. I'm going to read you a poem. We'll see if you can understand it. We'll see if I can even pronounce it. A lot of Latin words in here. LaDonna would probably do good at this. Syntitholate, syntitholate, global vivific. Fain I would fathom thy nature specific. Loftily poised in the ether caspacious, strongly resembling a gem carbonaceous. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if I said, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are, up above the world so high like a diamond in the sky? The gospel doesn't have to be complicated. It just needs to be clear. That's what we're here to do, to communicate the gospel. And I don't want anything to get in the way of that communication, whether that's going from me to another person, from God to people, or within myself. Let's pray. I exalt you, Lord, my God, and I cry out to you because you restore us. You bring me up from the dead when I was going down to the grave. We remember your holiness. We remember your favor. It is you who make us strong like a mountain. You turn our wailing into dancing. You turn our grief into joy. Therefore, I sing to you without ceasing, and we give thanks to you forever. Lord, today I ask for clarity. Clarity of purpose for me and for each individual here of reaching others with the good news. Clarity of mind for each one of us. Clarity of communication. And a commitment to prayer. Knowing that you are near to us. And you call us to draw others near to you as well. And we ask this in your name. Amen.